One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And today, we are talking about the first soiree into the first few games from Bioware that started off their major hit series uh, that kind of coincided. And we're going to be starting with Dragon Age Origins. Series Zizzes. I like mm-hmm. that word. Mm-hmm. Feels made up, but I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> this game was great because it was really the first game that I feel did a great job of incorporating a more modern approach to gaming alongside those choice-based story campaigns. Mm-hmm. And so you went from all these click-and-point kind of story modes to a game that actually has combat. It has role-playing elements. It has that story mode where your decisions actually matter. And I love Dragon Age Origins so, so much. And it brought that a lot of PC-heavy elements to the console for the first time in this genre, in this, like you said, modern gaming sphere of it, that married the two and slowly evolved that genre into a bit more complexity, bring it even over to a lot of other Bioware properties they had, such as Mass Effect and continuing to their later Baldur's Gates. And it started off that era that you said of bringing these RPGs, of these choice elements to the forefront as we started to see a lot more stuff coming out from like Telltale series and bringing actual or even even simulated, it feels like an actual choice you're making to save or harm, to ignore, to do these things in a D&D essence or a pen and paper game essence to a modern game. People love narrative. And Mm -hmm. narrative can be so hard, I think, within video gaming to really design a good game and have those things be totally within the hands of the player. To have a true RPG where you really feel like the decisions that you make have weight. I think um, this game does a great job of emulating that D&D sort of style of gameplay, and it's really cool and was one of probably my favorite games on the Xbox 360. Absolutely. So let's jump into it with Dragon Age Origins is a role-playing game developed by Bioware and published by Electronic Arts. It is the first game in the Dragon Age franchise and was released for Microsoft Windows, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360 in November 2009 and for Mac OS X in December 2009. Set in the fictional kingdom of Ferelden, 
During a period of civil strife, the game puts the player in the role of a warrior, mage, or rogue coming from an elven, human, or dwarven background. The player character is recruited into the Grey Ward, an ancient order that stands against monstrous forces known as Darkspawn, and is tasked with defeating the Archdemon that commands them and ending their invasion. The game is played from a third-person perspective that can be shifted to a top-down perspective, allowing for more of that situational gameplay to kind of direct your character. Throughout the game, players encounter various companions who play major roles in the game's plot and gameplay. Bioware described Dragon Age Origins as a dark heroic fantasy set in a unique world, and a spiritual successor to their previous Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights franchises. Its setting was inspired by the Lord of the Rings and A Song of Ice and Fire, and was described by Bioware as a mix between high fantasy and low fantasy. Development of the game began in 2002, and Bioware employed more than 144 voice actors and hired Ian Zur to compose the game's music. The development of the game's console versions was outsourced and was sent to Edge of Reality to handle getting that port over and making the controller aspects work and just making it a viable game. Origins received critical acclaim upon release, with praise mostly directed at story, setting, characters, music, and combat system. It sold more than 3.2 million copies and 1 million pieces of downloadable content. It won multiple year-end accolades, including Game of the Year, and best role-playing awards from several gaming publications, and has widely been considered to be one of the greatest video games ever made. Bioware released several instances of DLC after the game's initial launch, an expansion pack for the game titled Awakening in March 2010, and two sequels, Dragon Age 2 and Dragon Age Inquisition, which were released in 2011 and 2014, respectively. And you're absolutely right in that this game really brought a different style of gameplay to the Xbox 360 because largely there were these RPGs that were available for PC gamers that were Mm -hmm. really just the functionality of them. Just it didn't quite transfer to the Xbox 360 or consoles the same way. And it was hard to do. and, And I think they did a great job. Yeah, a lot of that comes from Diablo or Baldur's Gate, where it's more of that point and click inventory storage management and leveling your characters in that realm, which wouldn't work great with a controller having to like move basically a mouse, remove your character with that stick. We do get that translation later. We do see future Baldur Gates and uh, further down the line when we see more of Diablos. Um, But right now it's still in that PC realm and we see those ports start to bring it over. Um, It definitely, at least this one functioned a bit better on PC when we get to Dragon Age 2 and further. You definitely integrate those controls a lot better, and you get those console gamers involved a lot more, but it still worked out really well. Yeah, you're right, man. So let's talk about the studio that brought it all together. Bioware was founded by Ray Mazika and Greg Zeshuk, alongside Trent Oster and his brother Brent. Zeshuk's cousin Marcel and Augustine Yip. Of the founding team, Mazika, Zeshuk, and Yip had recently graduated from medical school at the University of Alberta and had a background in programming for use in school. Together with Yip, they had created a medical simulation program. The three also played video games for recreation, eventually deciding to develop their own. Their success in the medical field provided them with the funding they needed to launch a video game company. To make their first game, they pulled their resources, which resulted in capital of about $100,000. The company was incorporated on February 1st, 1995, 
still formally launched on May 22nd, 1995. Their first game, Shattered Steel, began its life as a proof-of-concept demo similar to the MechWarrior games. This demo was submitted to 10 publishers, seven of whom returned to the company with an offer. A publishing deal for Shattered Steel was eventually signed with Interplay Entertainment. Brent Oster and Trent Oster left BioWare at that time to form Pyrotech Studios, which continued developing Shattered Steel but broke up a year later, with Trent returning to BioWare to finish the game. BioWare's first game was released the following year. Shattered Steel's release was described by IGN as a modest success with decent sales, and two noteworthy points were the deformable terrain, player weapon damage caused craters in the environment, for example, and zone damage with well-aimed gunfire could basically shoot mounted weapons off enemies, and a sequel to Shattered Steel was planned for 1998 but never realized. BioWare's founders and staff were keenly interested in both computerized and pen and paper variants of role-playing games. Their next development project, therefore, was determined to be a role-playing game. When Interplay financed exploratory development, BioWare presented the publishers with a demo called Battleground Infinity. Interplay suggested that the demonstrated gameplay engine would be well-suited to the Dungeons & Dragons license, which it had acquired from Strategic Simulations. Accordingly, Infinity was reworked in line with the Dungeons & Dragons ruleset. The result was Baldur's Gate, with a development cycle of three years. During this time, the three doctors continued to practice medicine. The demands of development later prompted Mizuka and Zeshuk to leave medicine and move into full-time development. Augustine Yip decided to continue with his medical practice. Baldur's Gate sold more than 2 million copies after its release, nearly matching the sales of Diablo. Following the success of Baldur's Gate, the Infinity Engine was used for the game's Planescape torment and the Icewind Dale series. The success of Baldur's Gate was followed by an expansion pack for the game, Tales of the Sword Coast. So if any of you have played Dungeons and Dragons, a lot of this has been incorporated into the books and variations of it within the series, so kind of following hand in hand. At this point, Bioware decided to return to the action genre. The company's initial thought was to develop a sequel to Shattered Steel, but eventually a sequel to MDK from Shiny Entertainment was chosen for development. MDK 2 was released on PC, Dreamcast, and eventually PlayStation 2, offering BioWare their first taste of developing games for consoles. MDK 2 drew the same level of praise as its predecessor, but despite the success, BioWare returned to the Baldur's Gate series for their next project. The next few years saw a number of changes in BioWare's corporate status. In November 2005, it was announced that BioWare and Pandemic Studios, itself founded by former Activision employees, would be joining forces with private equity fund Elevation Partners investing in the partnership. On the 11th of October 2007, however, it was announced that this new partnership, organized as VG Holding Corporation, had been bought by Electronic Arts. BioWare therefore became a unit of EA but retained its own branding. In 2007, BioWare released the science fiction role-playing game Mass Effect. The following year, BioWare released Sonic Chronicles The Dark Brotherhood on the Nintendo DS, its first title for a handheld game console. Later, EA announced that BioWare would be merged with Mythic Entertainment, another division of EA, 
so that they could have all of their role-playing game development in one business unit. During the mid-2000s, Bioware staff developed a number of video game projects, which were ultimately canceled. A handheld spinoff for Mass Effect franchise titled Mass Effect Corsair, inspired by the gameplay of Star Control and played from a first-person perspective, was briefly explored as a potential project for the Nintendo DS in 2008, and a sequel to Jade Empire was under development at one point. The project transitioned into a spiritual successor codenamed Revolver, which was canceled by 2008. Trent Oster led a team which worked on a spy-themed role-playing game codenamed Agent prior to his second departure from Bioware in 2009. Unused concept art for Agent and Revolver are featured in the art book Bioware, Stories and Secrets from 25 Years of Game Development, published in January of 2021. On June 24, 2009, EA announced a restructuring of their role-playing and massively multiplayer online games, or MMOs, and their development into a new group that included both Mythic Entertainment and Bioware. Ray Mazika, co-founder and general manager of Bioware, was appointed the group general manager of this newly formed Bioware group. Bioware's other co-founder, Greg Zeschuk, became the group creative officer for the new MMO RPG Studio Group. Bioware Studios remained unchanged and continued to report to Mazika. Near the end of 2009, Bioware released the critically acclaimed fantasy role-playing game and the great topic of this amazing podcast, Dragon Age Origins. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, we've covered uh, Bioware before. We talked a bit about Mass Effect, but it's amazing to see like what these doctors basically at this point were like, hey, we're going to this profession that required an insane amount of schooling and money and effort. Let's do it for a little bit, but let's let's just on the side open up a video game company and produce some amazing hits that everyone loves and knows and uh, make a lot of money that way too. You know, just just casually, you know, just yeah, just real casual like. Like I'm still gonna operate on this dude's heart, but also, <laughs> what if this orc guy were to eat someone's flesh? Exactly. You just know, you just gotta side. figure these things out. Figure these things out. You know, we just love some D and D. Let's just make it a whole thing. Let's acquire the license because you know that's a thing, and uh, we'll just roll with it. Yeah, maybe there's, you know, it's a little appetizer business. You know, it's, <laughs> I just need a little something on the side. Something yeah. that, give me that, uh, that cream corn. I want some grits with my nah. breakfast. You know, you might have that. You might be, you know, TJ Fridays. Give me them like five ninety nine apps. That's what TGI we're doing Fridays here. is we're, disgusting. How dare you? We're a TGI Fridays of the gaming <laughs> Dragon Age, or, Bioware is not a TGI Fridays. TGI Fridays is the worst. It's a 54th Street Grill. That's probably okay. just a St. Louis All thing, right. but that's what okay. it is. Yeah. All right. We're St. Louis and it up in this podcast. So let's get away from uh, OK Food, and let's jump into how they developed the game and what it took. So Dragon Age Origins was created by the Edmonton studio Bioware, developer of Neverwinter Nights and Jade Empire. Development of the game's first demo began in November 2002. It was officially revealed at E3 2004 as simply Dragon Age and was re-revealed as Dragon Age Origins in July 2008 alongside a new trailer for the game. According to Bioware, they kept any information about the game hidden from the public to further the game's design and technology. More than 180 people worked on the game, and full-scale production began three years after the game's initial development. The subtitle Origins was chosen to represent the six origin storyline, 
Bioware's return to PC role-playing games, and the beginning of a new franchise. Origins is a spiritual successor to Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights, as an attempt to build a similar fantasy RPG without any licensing restrictions or issues. The similarities are mostly present in gameplay elements, such as real-time tactical combat. The game does not share the Dungeons & Dragons setting of the Baldur's Gate series, and is instead set in a period where dragons are prevalent. While the game was initially built with the engine that powered Neverwinter Nights, the team switched to use the Eclipse engine midway during the game's development. The shift in engine slowed down the game's development significantly. David Gator, the lead writer for Origins, built the game's world first before writing the plot. The team chose a fantasy setting because Dan Tudge, the game's director, thought that Bioware was at its best in the fantasy genre. In the first draft, there were no Darkspawn or Grey Wardens, and mages were not allowed to use magic in cities. There were 12 different origin stories, including Human Commoner and Avar, a barbarian origin. However, most of them were scrapped for being ridiculous, leading to six stories being finalized. Loghain was the first character to be created, while an ogre, nicknamed Fluffy, and a human with medium armor were the first enemies designed. The concepts of Alistair and Morrigan were the next to be created, as they play the largest role in the game's plot. Their creation also took far longer than other characters. Morrigan was originally conceived to be similar to Flemeth, speaking whimsically. However, Gator was not satisfied and decided to completely rewrite her personality. As a result, she was designed as a blunt person who always resists her mother. Finding a suitable voice actor for Morrigan took the most time of any character. The game's final version features 68,260 lines of dialogue. The quality assurance testers for the game enabled the cheat to automatically skip these cutscenes and dialogues to run test runs. And dragons were added into the game after its title was created using a random name generator. So a lot of care into uh, the Morgan character and a lot of mm -hmm. support from the fan base, obviously. Absolutely. Uh, no. Obviously not. How dare you? No. <laughs> they, they hate it. Get out of here. No, I, the Morgan character is really interesting within this game because obviously she starts off as this weird like witch girl mm -hmm. and she is, I think, intended to be like a love interest within this game. Yeah, in a bit. And definitely based on like the Morgan from like Irish mythology and taking some elements of that that was kind of mixed between her mother and herself kind of like each took a little bit of that mythos and that legend and yeah tried to be like this kind of standoffish somewhat love interest somewhat just insanely powerful character we figure out yeah i, I just feel like they weren't subtle about how you were supposed to feel about morgan because they basically made her naked mm -hmm. the entire game so it, it's hard to say but it's interesting that there are so many lines of dialogue for her. They obviously wanted her to be like a massive, massive part of the the storyline. Absolutely. And really like a an ear or a, a whisper in the main character's ear. Yes. Kind of like bringing that guiding to it. Yeah. Ray Mazika said that the team wanted to try something that would be new but familiar to most players. They hoped that Origins would redefine the genre to become the Lord of the Rings of video game franchises. 
Zashuk described the fantasy of Dragon Age as in between the high fantasy of J.R.R. Tolkien's works and the low fantasy of works by George R.R. R. Martin. A lot of RRs there. I feel like I'm playing Monopoly. <laughs> the goal was... A <laughs> that was a dumb joke. The goal was a dark, heroic fantasy that would suit the taste of any fan of the genre. Thus, while the game has the typical races of human, elf, and dwarf, they are slightly altered from the usual nature of the three races, and a new race called Quinari was introduced. Some of the alterations they made included flipping how certain races like elves are treated in other fictional worlds. While elves are often described as a race of high prestige in fiction, Dragon Age Origins presents them as slaves of humans, labeled as second-class citizens who resent the human race. This extended to the gameplay, where the player can choose to discriminate against other races and can experience discrimination from others based on their choices. BioWare recognized that non-linear choices are an element unique to video games in the entertainment industry. Zeshuk called the sheer number of choices in the game big and impactful, and the team designed many of those to be emotional and create a more personal experience for the player. They intentionally avoided adding a karma system, as the choices are designed to be ambiguous, with only the player to judge whether they are good or bad. According to Mazika, their goal was to make players sympathize with events and characters, connecting with them to feel true emotions. This vision challenged the team to balance many key aspects, such as the amount of dialogue and animation in each cutscene, to create a believable scenario for players. The team also hoped to handle romance in a more mature and complicated way, with a true reflection on human relationships and reactions rather than adolescent titillation. The game has sex scenes, but no nudity. Mazika added that it was an artistic choice and a decision made by the team, not by the publisher EA. While Origins is a single-player-only game, Mazika described it as a social experience, considering the narrative and its variety of paths as an integral part of the gameplay. The characters a player meets, items they collect, and quests they receive and complete may be different, leading to a completely different experience. He also considered the ways a player explores the world and discovers new areas as an exploration narrative. As each player had a different experience, they hoped that those players would collaborate to expand upon their knowledge of the world. To that effect, the team built a community site as an online social environment for players to communicate. Players could share stats and automatically generated screenshots with the community. Which was a cool thing to kind of do in that era of like the mid-2000s of having those as online leaderboards, being able to share aspects of the game. We see a lot of that like on Steam, on PC right now. You can share a lot of your community things in the hub. Xbox and PlayStation added that in as well, be able to add screenshots directly from the gameplay. So we see this as like that early adopter of it and bringing the community together to like see like, oh, there's a cool thing that we did or look at this crazy screenshot or whatever's going on and be able to discuss the game further, which is a great thing to keep the game's life going, to keep the community involved, take community feedback. I mean, we see a lot of games that really adapted that um, after this, even before this a bit, just to improve upon what the fans truly want, what they didn't like, and to just have that kind of like fishing line out there to be able to like pull on. I think that this game definitely came out on the tail end of when message boards were still like a prevalent part of the internet. And so mm -hmm. this, 
obviously you can go out and find message boards if you really want to be a part of those still. But for the most part, it's centered around like Reddit and Twitter and, you know, those kind of areas. And I feel like we see a little bit of the impact from that community there, but this is sort of like trailing off. And now the communities are built within these like bigger social media areas and Mm -hmm. we're able to see impacts from that stuff. Whereas back then, yeah, having a, a message board or whatever to share your thoughts was great for Bioware. Yeah, and keeping it kind of all in the ecosystem. Very much, again, like you said, what would now just pretty much be a subreddit they would check up on is at this point kind of the start of that, but just being its own thing with its, its yeah. own ecosystem. A very dedicated thing put on by Bioware specifically. Mm-hmm. So a bit of that's in the marketing realm, but let's talk a bit more of the marketing and what they did to, like I said, bring it to console. While the game was originally intended for PC, a console version was announced in 2008 by gaming magazine Game Informer. Prior to the announcement, Zeshuk suggested that the entire franchise has a console future. The decision was made to bring the game to consoles to introduce it to a wider audience. Mike Laidlaw, the game's lead designer, considered the creating of the console version's interface a challenge, as they had to convert the long and complex quick bar from the PC version to a more streamlined interface that could use the same actions with only a few button presses. To that end, the team decided to map six different actions together and allow players to customize the arrangement. Also, the console version does not allow the top-down view possible in the PC version. So again, like I said, it was PC-oriented coming off of Baldur's Gate, coming off of like these other games of the time of the Diablos, Neverwinter Nights, that was that strategy RPG element. And now they're trying to get into this like semi-quasi-action RPG. So this is their first soiree into it as they get into the future Dragon Ages and perfecting that then. Right. The game was originally set to be released in early 2009 for Microsoft Windows and later for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. The team partnered with Edge of Reality to develop the console versions of the game. However, its release date was pushed to the latter half of that year in order to have a simultaneous launch. BioWare announced that the game would be released on October 20th, 2009 and pushed it back again to November 6, 2009 as the team wanted additional time to finalize some last-minute decisions. The PlayStation 3 version was at one point delayed to November 17th, but did end up launching alongside the other versions. And as we said, a Mac version of the game, developed by Transgaming, was released on December 21st, 2009. The Dragon Age character creator was released on October 13th, 2009, allowing players to create a character in advance and import it into the full game upon release. BioWare also released a developer-grade toolset to allow extensive modification and customization of the game's PC version. Players can use these tools to craft new campaigns, quests, cinematics, and lip-syncing. On November 26, 2009, EA announced a competition called Dragon Age Warden's Quest. Contestants formed groups of four people and competed to adventure through the game's world, with the winning group receiving US dollars the representatives from Hungary ended up winning the contest. The December 2009 issue of PC Gamer was bundled with the DVD copy of A Tale of Orzammar, a promotional campaign module for Origins. 
It explores the actions of a mercenary, the player character of the module, who is contracted by a dwarven nobleman to retrieve a valuable artifact from dwarven ruins within the Deep Roads. In addition to the standard version, other editions of Origins were made available for purchase. The Collector's Edition came in a steelbook with different artwork, and like the standard edition, the Collector's Edition included a redemption code to obtain the Stone Prisoner and Blood Dragon Armor DLC for free, but also featured three additional exclusive in-game items. A bonus disc containing a making-of documentary, concept art, trailers, the game's original soundtrack, and a cloth map of Ferelden. Dragon Age Origins supports released several DLC packs for the game. The content ranged from single in-game item packs to entirely new plot-related campaigns, which include the Stone Prisoner, Warden's Keep, Return to Ostagar, and the Darkspawn Chronicles, Liliana's Song, the Golems of Amgarok, and Witch Hunt. An expansion titled Awakening, which is set in a new area called Amaranthine, and introduces five new party members, was released on March 16, 2010. The Ultimate Edition, which includes the base game, the Awakening Expansion Pack, and all nine DLC packs, was released on October 26, 2010. On March 9, 2011, Electronic Arts announced that players who pre-ordered Darkspore would receive a free copy of Origins. In 2012, to celebrate the first anniversary of EA's own digital distribution software, Origin, the game was made free to download alongside Battlefield Bad Company 2 and Spore for a limited time. On October 8, 2015, it became free to download again for a limited time as part of Origin's On the House program. A crossover promotion with Mass Effect 2, the Blood Dragon armor, was made available without extra cost to players who purchased a new copy of Dragon Age Origins. In addition, unlocking the Blood Dragon armor set in Origins will unlock it for use in Mass Effect 2 and Dragon Age 2. Feast Day Gifts and Feast Day Pranks, released on April 1st, 2010, each include 10 unique Feast Day gift and prank items, one for each companion, as well as two generic items that can be given to any companion. Each item can be downloaded separately or as a part of the combined Feast Day Gifts and Pranks pack. It is bundled with Dragon Age Origins Ultimate Edition. Prior to December 7th, 2012, certain in-game items were only available through limited promotional opportunity. From December 7th, 2012 onwards, with the exception of the Blood Dragon armor as well as the Collector's Edition exclusive items, players may unlock all promotional and exclusive items in Origins and its expansion pack for free. So yeah, some really cool marketing stuff. Obviously, they cared a lot, I think, about getting this game out into the world and getting mm -hmm. people more interested in not only, I think, a main base game, but also expansions as well, which is really similar to like the D&D &D style of gameplay. And so you can definitely see where they took a lot of inspiration from that. But let's talk about the gameplay itself a little bit. Dragon Age Origins is a RPG played from a third-person perspective. The player is a Grey Warden, part of an order of elite fighters, whose task is to defeat the Archdemon and save the world from a disastrous event called the Blight. Players create their own Grey Warden character, customizing gender and appearance as well as choosing a race and class. The available classes are warriors who perform strong physical attacks, rogues who carry out stealth attacks and steal items from other characters and mages who cast spells on enemies, create combo spells, and support other party members. 
The three choices of race are human, elf, and dwarf. And the combination of class and race determines which of the six different origin stories the player experiences. There's the Dalish Elf, Dwarf Commoner, City Elf, Mage, Human Noble, or Dwarf Noble. And this affects the way other in-game characters perceive the player's character. For instance, a Dwarven Commoner would receive hatred and discrimination from other Dwarves. However, all classes follow the same plot after the completion of the origin story. During gameplay, the player encounters a variety of enemies, including giant spiders, darkspawn, ghosts, walking trees, and dragons. They also recruit companions who accompany them and provide assistance in battle. These companions are normally controlled by AI, with behavior that the player can adjust through the tactics menu, but the player also has the option to switch between characters and is able to issue orders to them in real time or pause the game to queue up actions. The player and any companions in their party engage in combat with the weapons they have equipped when the player targets or is noticed by a hostile enemy. Players can swap weapons and perform special attacks during combat, but most of these attacks have a recharge time. The point of view can be shifted from the third-person view to a top-down view where friendly and hostile units are labeled with different colors to distinguish them. At the end of a battle with the character's health and stamina, which powers a character's skills are automatically refilled, and when an enemy is defeated, the player collects any items or loot from its corpse. Companions who are not in the player's active party stay in the base camp, a hub where the player can talk to their party members as well as purchase new weapons, armor, and gear. And in addition to the main story, the player can learn more about the world of Thetis by collecting the codexes scattered throughout the game. The player can level up their Warden character by earning experience points through completing quests and defeating enemies. Each time the player levels up, they receive three points to spend on their character's six attributes. Strength inflicts more damage, dexterity helps evade attacks more often, willpower increases stamina, magic increases spell damage or magic defense, cunning improves combat tactics, and constitution helps withstand attacks. Special skills, which are divided into four different aspects for each class, and specialization options, which offer class-specific skills, can also be unlocked by leveling up. The player can talk and interact with both party members and other non-playable characters. A dialogue tree offers several dialogue options for the player to select. Through conversation, the player can unlock unique quests and dialogue revealing the lore of Dragon Age. It can also be used to persuade or intimidate other characters. The player often must choose between morally ambiguous options which result in consequences that affect the game's world and progression, and can even lead to the death of a few potential companions. Companions react to the player's choices through an approval system. When they dislike or object to the player's decisions, their approval drops, which can result in a companion leaving the party or even attacking the warden. Approval points can be influenced by gifts, which will improve any companion's approval, but are each intended for a specific companion. Some gifts, if given to the right character, start a cutscene and can even unlock a quest. A high approval rating improves a companion's morale and gives bonuses to their combat abilities. A significant approval rating also makes it possible for the warden to pursue a romantic relationship with certain companions. The game's interaction reactivity system means that the way a player treats one companion affects the approval rating of other companions as well. And I always found that really interesting playing this game, that if you were mean to a certain character, it's similar to a real-life feel. 
Like if you're with mm-hmm. a group of your friends and you're really mean to one of them, your other friends that are friends with that friend might be kind of like, hey, man, you're being kind of mean to that person and might not like you for it. At the same time, if you were to give a friend a gift or whatever, other friends might get jealous. Be like, mm-hmm. hey, man, why don't I get a gift? And then within that, there's just all these little like social aspects and like the game describes it like an interaction reactivity um, that makes it feel more realistic. And I, I always thought that that was really cool. Yeah, it's, it's such a smart way to do it. And these companion games are some of my favorites of like building a party out. And then this adds so much more, like you said, of your choices really do matter. And not only just to NPCs of getting quests, but to which characters you have with you. Will they be able to do some certain combat things? Or they just be like, hey, I'm not going to kill this village. This is, what are you doing? Like, you know, like attacking you or leaving you. Like, I never did that because I like to keep my people. (laughs) But it is an option where like things like that can happen. Yeah. And I think it shares a lot of, there are other games that have similar concepts like Fire Emblem. You know, Mm -hmm, there's, mm -hmm. you can interact with the characters and there are certain benefits that come with it, whether it be like a relationship or whether it be like a, in battle uh bonus or something like yes. that and but i feel like what bioware did with dragon age was a little bit more intimate than some of those where it, it not only are you able to like give a gift and have a conversation but the certain things that you choose to say within those conversations then impact mm-hmm. your relationship with them and so it's just that extra level of detail If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk about the game's setting a little bit. It's set in Ferelden, one of several countries in the fictional world of Thetis. Savage creatures called the Darkspawn dwell within the Deep Roads, an underground highway system created by the dwarves long ago, and deep beneath the surface of Thetis. Every few hundred years, the Darkspawn swarm the surface world in a movement known as a Blight. Ever since the first blight, Thetis has relied on the legendary order of warriors known as the Grey Wardens to drive the Darkspawn back. Dragon Age Origins begins on the eve of Thetis's fifth blight. Thetis is a world in which race and class combine to determine social class and political dynamics. Elves are often viewed as second-class citizens by humans, while human nobles are treated with respect. Mages, on the other hand, are cloistered by the Chantry. They have access to the Fade, the unconscious realm that is the home of the spirits, and a single lapse in vigilance could cause them to be possessed by demons. Apostate mages 
who live outside the Chantry's control are considered extremely dangerous, and the Chantry has a military wing, the Templars, to seek out and subdue them by any means necessary. Dwarves live in the Deep Roads, their kingdom a shadow of what it once was before the First Blight, and their society is rooted in tradition and a rigid caste system. Dalish elves live a nomadic lifestyle away from most cities, proudly attempting to preserve and reclaim the ancient elven heritage that was mostly wiped out long ago when the elven empire that ruled most of the lands mysteriously collapsed. Two prequel novels released in 2009, Dragon Age The Stolen Throne and its direct sequel Dragon Age The Calling, provide context for the game's lore as well as the backstories of several characters and their relevant conflicts and origins. And let's talk about those characters. Let's talk about who in this game makes it kind of what it is. Like overall, the game itself is a pretty simple concept. Join these people, fight back the bad thing. Yay. A couple hundred years. uh, Yeah, it's like a big team of people that are supposed to be naturally conflicting that have to determine how they want to work together. And so we talk about Templars versus these outside mages. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the very first teams that you have to assemble. And so from the very beginning, you're having to navigate what sides you're going to take within this realm. Exactly. And so let's break it down. So the chief protagonist of Dragon Age Origins is the player-controlled character, whose biography and combat specialization are determined by the race and class chosen at the start of the game. While the player can choose his or her avatar's first name, the character is usually referred to as the Warden by other characters in the game's narration. Many of the game's NPCs are companion characters, who appear throughout the game and may volunteer their services. Companions include Alistair, a reluctantly heroic Grey Warden with a sarcastic wit, Morgan, a spiteful apostate mage who has little regard for authority or social mores, Liliana, a lay sister of the Ferelden Chantry whose optimistic and virtuous demeanor belies an aptitude for espionage and combat, Sten, a proud but stoic warrior of the deeply regimented Quinari people who are eh, often questioned by the ways of their races. We have Ogren, an unkempt dwarven warrior whose love of alcohol is only matched by his penchant for physical violence and the loyalty to his friends. Wynn, a senior member of the Ferelden Circle of Magi, a maternal figure to the party and a powerful healer. Zevron, a rakish elven assassin who is fond of treasures, sex, and innuendo. And a loyal Mobari warhound, which the player can name and use for scouting and combat. With the DLC The Stone Prisoner installed, Shale a sarcastic golem with a mild fear of birds who was a female dwarf in her prior life is also available as an optional companion. Outside of companion characters, NPCs significant to the Origins plot include Duncan, the Grey Warden who recruits the player, Arl Eamon Girin of Redcliffe, the uncle of Ferelden's naive but courageous king, Caelan Girin, Ban Tegan Girin, the brother of Arl Eamon, Queen Honora, Kaelin's politically savvy wife, with a commanding personality that is somewhat offset by her ambition and ruthlessness, and Flemeth, Morgan's mother, who appears to be a harmless old woman, but in truth is an infamous dark witch of Ferelden legend. The rampaging Darkspawn horde is led by the archdemon Erthemiel, supposedly one of the old gods of the Tevinter Imperium incarnated in the form of a powerful and corrupt dragon 
with total control over the Darkspawn. The game's other main antagonists are Logan McTeer, Terran of Guaran, and father of Queen Honora, a once-respected war hero gone mad with ambition and paranoia. And Rednan Hal, the immoral and corrupt Arl of Amaranthine, who allies with Loghain to further his own ambitions. So yeah, so a number of characters, both good and bad, uh, that were developed really well and really brings out the dynamic of the, you know, D&D party. Bringing out those, like, major differences in race and like, hey, I'm a goodie, I'm a baddie, but are we really a goodie or a baddie? Or is that just kind of what we're told as this party starts to form itself and those bonds start to grow, you know, between the companions that may on paper hate each other at the beginning, but slowly build up that rapport. And you can see the influence from A Song of Fire and Ice, I think, within those dynamics versus the Tolkien stuff. Because there is a lot of ambiguity within a lot of these characters. And I think that that's what makes this game and its story more compelling. And that there Mm -hmm. really isn't more of a right and wrong answer. And we start to see that in more video games later on. Like, I think the Scrolls titles, for example. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a lot more ambiguity within those games where you're just there's no right or wrong necessarily it's that there's going to be wins and losses and you have to choose a side even if it's a tough decision and i think that's what makes these games a lot of fun it is and and the plot itself just surrounding these characters was done so well and as i said it begins with one of those six predetermined origin stories and depending on the player character's race and class that's what helps like segment those and gives you your start of like that narration voiceover into how you kind of start that game. And so with that, each story ends with the player leaving with Duncan, the commander of Ferelden's Grey Wardens, who is seeking new recruits and selects the player as a candidate. The two journey to Ferelden's southern fortress, Ostagar, to join Kaelin, the king of Ferelden, and his father-in-law Loghain, a legendary general and close friend of Kaelin's late father, King Merrick. The three leaders plan to attack the encroaching Darkspawn to stop a new blight from overwhelming Ferelden. Duncan senses the influence of an archdemon, a godlike dragon that commands the Darkspawn, and emphasizes the importance of defeating the blight before it can threaten the rest of Theus. Duncan initiates the player into the Grey Wardens via a ritual called the Joining, which involves imbibing Darkspawn blood. The recipient, if they survive, is granted the taint a connection into the Darkspawn hive mind to sense them. After surviving, the player, now nicknamed the Warden, and fellow Grey Warden Alistair are tasked with lighting a beacon at the top of the fortress to signal Loghain's men into charging the Darkspawn horde flank. However, upon arriving, Loghain abandons the battlefield, leaving Kaelin, Duncan, and their army to be slain by the Darkspawn who seize control of Ostagar and begin advancing into southern Ferelden. The Warden and Alistair are saved by Flemeth, a powerful witch who lives in seclusion. Flemeth sends her daughter Morgan to accompany the Warden and Alistair in gathering a new army to combat the Archdemon and stop the Blight. Using ancient Grey Warden treaties, the Warden travels across Ferelden to enlist the aid of the Circle of Magi, the Dalish Elves, and Dwarves of Orzammar, as well as the soldiers in Redcliffe loyal to Arl Eamon. In addition, Alistair reveals that he is a bastard son of King Merrick, making him a contender for the now-vacant throne. 
Meanwhile, Loghain returns to Ferelden's capital city, Denerim, to inform his daughter, Queen Honora, of Caelan's death. Loghain scapegoats the Grey Wardens for the defeat at Ostagar and demands the deaths of any survivors. While Honora inherits her husband's authority, Loghain declares himself her regent and seizes control of the kingdom, becoming a tyrannical ruler determined to retain power. Ferelden's nobility rebel against him, igniting a civil war which ends in an inconclusive stalemate and allows the Darkspawn to advance further into Ferelden unopposed. Eamon then calls a landsmeet among the nobles of Ferelden to rally the kingdom against the Darkspawn, where the Warden or a party member defeats Loghain in a duel. If Alistair defeats Loghain, he will then execute him. Otherwise, the Warden can either have Loghain executed or recruited into the Grey Wardens, and the party in place of Alistair, who quits both in turn. Depending on this and other past decisions, the Warden then settles who assumes Ferelden's throne, Alistair and or Honora, with the option of marrying the one of opposite gender if a human noble. Before the final battle, the Warden learns that a Grey Warden must slay the Archdemon to prevent it from releasing a demonic essence, which finds a new host in the nearest dark spawn. The essence will be drawn to the taint, killing the Warden in the process. Morgan meets with the Warden and proposes a ritual that will see her conceive a child with a Warden. The Archdemon, upon death, will instead be drawn to the child, born as a demigod with the taint, sparing the Warden who slays it. Morgan agrees to conceive the child on the condition that she raises it alone. The Warden can accept Morgan's offer, if male, convince Alistair Loghain to take part instead, or refuse a proposal which causes Morgan to leave the party. The next day, the Warden and the newly assembled army gather in Denerim. They repel the Darkspawn Horde and vanquish the Archdemon. If Morgan's ritual was performed, the Warden slays the Archdemon. If not, they must decide whether they or Alistair Loghain does so and perishes in the process. The remaining Darkspawn retreated from Denerim, marking the end of the Fifth Blight. The story ends with a ceremony attended by Ferelden citizens, where the Warden and their companions are honored for saving the kingdom. An epilogue details the ramifications of the Warden's choices, including the future of Ferelden, any rumors, and the fates of his or her companions. So a lot of things there. Um, do you remember what choices you made when you did your playthrough? I was a good boy. Alistair was a good boy for me. Like, I pretty much kept my core group. I was like, I don't want, like, anyone else. Like, Loghain, get out of here. You ain't coming yeah. with me. Yeah. But I, but I, I believe much, I chose, I think like, I played the same way. I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I, I, I believe I chose, yeah, chose, like, the quote-unquote good path that I think most people yeah. would do is, like, sacrificing myself or, like, you know, having a demon baby. Like, those type of things. Instead of being like, hey, Alistair, just, uh, Go do that thing. <laughs> yeah, why don't, you, why don't you get lost, man? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I played it the same way. Uh, I think I, I believe I kept Alistair and let him execute that guy. And then I definitely had the baby and let mm -hmm. her go raise it alone. I've never... I played it through a few times after that, but I feel like that first time that I played it feels like the most authentic version of me. And yes. I've tried to recreate that a few times. But it's so hard to play one of these games 
knowing what happens and still play it the same way, I think. Yes. And that is the benefit of like that first playthrough feel of all these story games. And it definitely has the replayability. Even if you choose your same route, it's still a fun game to play. But like you said, it's hard because you're like, that was my first time. Like I went this way. Now I have to like on purpose go this way, even though these might not be the choices I make with this character. But because I want to see these other routes, I'll try it. Like in later playthroughs, I found myself always wanting to be a rogue because it takes Mm -hmm. some time to actually find a rogue for your party. Yes. There's so many things that you miss along the way if you're not a rogue because you can't break into chests. Yes, that was was the big thing I do remember was like until you basically get your elf friend, you don't have a rogue that can do chest things. And so like up until that point, like anything's are locked, like you can't get into. And so, yeah, you're right. You miss out on just a lot of loot, a lot of opportunities up until that point. Yeah. So obviously, one of the best parts of any video game is the music and sound, and the music of Dragon Origins was composed and arranged by Israeli-American music composer Anand Zer and American singer-songwriter Aubrey Ashburn and performed by Northwest Sinfonia. The game features an orchestral soundtrack with a choir used both in-game and during cutscenes. And the score also features contributions from Simon Presley, who was audio director at BioWare and acted as musical supervisor for the project, as well as vocal performances by Ashburn, who had since become a frequent collaborator with Zer. Several vocal tracks were produced for the game, which were all performed by Ashburn. Zer intentionally made most of the soundtrack feel dark in synergy with the theme of Origins. The official Dragon Age Origins soundtrack album was released on November 3rd, 2009 and later released digitally on December 8th, 2009. It won two awards at the Hollywood Music and Media Awards and Conference Show held in November 19, 2009 and an 18-track album was included in the collector's edition of the game which was released on November 3rd, 2009. The original video game score for Dragon Age Origins, Liliana's Song, downloadable content pack, was released on October 25th, 2010. So I want to go a little more in depth with this, um, just because of what they were able to put together with this soundtrack was amazing, and all an original score. And the game's score accompanies the gameplay and alerts players at specific times, such as combat sequences. Inan Zur explained in an interview with GameSpot that the main role of video game music, like its movie and television counterparts, is to support the emotional element and to enhance the drama. He said in another interview that he was enthusiastic about being asked to score the Dragon Age franchise by Bioware, quote, because it was known to be a high-profile project from a great developer, and it featured the elements he enjoyed writing for, noting that in the role-playing game genre, he can contribute a lot in his style to complement the game. Zur described the process of composing a scene for the series as follows. He starts by identifying and focusing on what exactly the character in the scenes are feeling, and then move on to the other details such as their location, number of hostile enemies, the pace of the narrative, and so on. He would then proceed to write the score with the information he has provided, and at the same time, 
he is open to other information, such as the color and or flavor of the setting. Zur described the creative process as being, quote, a very close collaboration with a lot of creative freedom, and noted that the score for Origins was about creating its universe and establishing a style for the game. They had to cover a lot of different stories for the game, which featured six possible origin stories for the player-created protagonist, and he had to go through many routes to find the origins and what they are. He said he plays the games he is hired to compose to comprehend its tempo and rhythm, which would inform his experience when it comes to tailoring his score. He noted that the story of a video game is the biggest influence in his score writing. He praised the narrative for Dragon Age as being very effective and immersive, noting that there are lots of human elements. None of the characters are perfect, even the hero. And I think what's interesting about this concept is, so like in Dragon Age, there are these very intense uh, personal moments. Mm -hmm. And being able to have a score that highlights those moments without being overwhelmingly obvious is a very difficult thing to do because sometimes there's a negative thing that happens or a positive thing that happens. I think about a game like L.A. Noir, where when I'm interviewing a person, there are basically three different choices, right? Like, I believe you, you're lying, or I doubt mm -hmm. what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And whether you pick the right choice or the wrong choice, you would get a different piece of music that corresponded with that choice that doesn't exist within Dragon Age. There sure. isn't no right or wrong choice. And to be able to create a soundtrack that, you know, gives you tension within the moment that feels appropriate without outright saying you did something wrong, I think is really a difficult challenge. And I think that they did a great job in this game. Absolutely. So Zer said that the most memorable moment for him working on Dragon Age was just trying to capture what's going on in the character's mind as opposed to the player's mind. He observed that the story of an RPG is typically more complicated compared to other genres like first-person shooter games, and that in Origins, players get to make decisions all the time, such as siding with one faction over the other, which is influenced by their own opinions. Zer had to frame the player's feeling to create a feeling by evoking sensations such as motivation, fear, or excitement, because it is not possible to predict the exact manner in which players will respond to each scenario in Origins due to its branching narrative. He described scoring the Dragon Age games to be like stepping on eggs, and that he needed to work with emotions without forcing it too much, and that he was careful not to compose the score in such a way that would manipulate the player into making a specific decision like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Zer's finalized score for Origins is meant to evoke the feel of the game, which he described as proud and beautiful and very dark, but also very epic and huge in size. Zer would balance the dark tone and mood of the score with occasional heartfelt music or introduce comic relief as a prelude to a dark cue. He explained that, quote, There's a point when you're painting a black canvas, going darker and darker, where it can lose impact. He described the sound palette established in Origins as orchestral, combining low brass and bass string instruments with ancient drums to express a feeling that is both heroic and demonic. Aubrey Ashburn revealed in an interview with GameSpot that Origins was the first project Zer hired her for. 
and that the main Dragon Age Origins theme Zer wrote was the piece that won him the contract to compose the game's score. Ashburn recalled experiencing a sort of spiritual experience while recording the song and said she still enjoys listening to the song and won't change a thing about it. The writing team provided Zer and Aubrey with elven lyrics that indicated a certain phrasing. Aubrey noted that Zer came up with a context almost instantly, and she only had to coax the phrasing a bit and perform it. The song was composed in under 24 hours. Aubrey considered the song to be one of her favorite songs and performances, and with regards to Love Song, a track performed by Ashburn which plays when the player character engages a party companion in a romantic scene, but was not included in any version of the soundtrack albums for Origins, she credited Zer with writing the music. Together, they placed the pseudo-elven language she came up with and finished composing the song on relatively short notice. Though surprised by its positive reception, she noted that the song has a certain vulnerability about it, and that captures the listener. The soundtrack was recorded by the performance of a 44-piece orchestra, recorded twice and merged to sound like an 88-piece orchestra. It was performed by the Northwest Sinfonia. One of the soundtrack's performers, woodwind soloist Chris Bleth, has worked on numerous notable films such as Up, Star Trek, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, gross, and the Fast <laughs> and Furious series. The soundtrack was presented at a panel in the Hollywood Music and Media Interactive Conference in 2009 and was performed as part of the September 26, A Night in Fantasia 2009 concert in Sydney by the Eminence Symphony Orchestra. So definitely a lot of thought and just expertise gone into this and, and a lot of dedication of like playing through the game, like wanting to know like all these different avenues. What are they doing? What is the character feeling? Not what the player's doing with it. What is that character in that realm of that era thinking right now and how does that music correspond with it? And that's such a smart way of doing it, especially in an RPG realm where it really is about the character. Like, that's your first and foremost is the character and story versus a platformer, an FPS, a puzzle game. Like, it's, it's about the character. And to really spell it out, it's about immersion a lot. Mm -hmm. Because, like my earlier comparison with L.A. Noir, I immediately, when I click that wrong answer, I'm like, oh, I messed up. I'm out. I'm no longer Cole Phelps. I'm no longer a 40s detective trying to solve a case. I'm like Derek in the world playing a video game, hating that he made a mistake in this case. Yes. And when you have a game like this, the immersion is so important because you want to feel like your choices are mattering and that you are actually this character for that moment. And so having the music correspond with that absolutely solidifies the immersion. It's one of the things that really makes or breaks a lot of RPGs. Because again, they can just be min-maxed. If you just want to go through it and pick the best abilities, the, the optimal time to level up. I think there's all those things. There's plenty of RPGs that can do that. But for the most part, if you can't build that immersion, if you can't build the player caring about their character, the party, then a lot of those decisions you have to make that are tough, morally uh, ambiguous, don't matter they yeah. won't matter it's like whatever's gonna be the easiest for me to do whatever's gonna be the best for my party you know i don't really care but when you can evoke that with the sound design with the writing with the visuals you do feel bad when you're like 
I don't want this character to die. Or like, I don't want any of us to die. Like, why would I want to sacrifice one of us at the end of the game? And I've spent right. all like, you're literally looking at the three people you've spent the most time with in this game are like making this final decision. And some people may just be like, oh, okay, just whatever's the quickest way to finish the game or whatever. But then a lot, like a lot of it's like that humanity kicks in. Yeah. I guess we'll, I guess more uh, Morgan will carry the baby. That's going to like that. We won't sacrifice any of us, but she's going to have to sacrifice like basically the rest of her life caring yeah. for this demon baby. Yep. Is, is and, that the lesser of evils? And, you know, I think one of my favorite things that we've done more recently was that patron episode where we just talk about what makes a video game and mm -hmm. really discussing how all these different factors can come in, whether it be the story narrative, whether it can be the music, whether, you know, it is the actual gameplay itself, like what makes a game great. And mm -hmm. I think that Dragon Age Origins just does such a great job of, like you said, really making you as a human, as a player, weigh those decisions in a way yeah. that other games don't. Yeah, and, and it did it well. And we'll leave some of that for the end of the episode. Uh, but coming up, I want to talk about DLC. And I broke a bit of them down just because there's a lot of content. This is the era of actually adding content with DLC. And there's a lot of story presence. Although it was limited because was. they eventually they ripped it out. <laughs> like you cannot get this anymore. I don't believe. Yes. If, maybe but on with, uh, Steam or something, but not on with Xbox. The, with the Ultimate Edition, it's all included in there. So you definitely have it in there built into it. But as far as individuals, it was taken out, you know, save up space. But let's break them down. And one we've already talked about. The Stone Prisoner, which was released on November 3rd, 2009, adds the Golem Shale, voiced by Geraldine Blecker, as a recruitable companion character to the game. The Stone Prisoner was intended to be complimentary for players who purchased a new copy of any edition of Origins, though it is available as a standalone purchase. To access its contents, players must interact with a merchant who offers a control rod for a rogue golem, which is found as a solitary statue in the middle of a village which has been overrun with Darkspawn. To recruit Shale, players will need to assist the surviving villagers against the Darkspawn, solve a tile puzzle, and deal with the level's main antagonist, a demon-possessed cat. Like other companion characters, Shale is a fully voice-acted character with unique interactions, an approval rating system, and a personal quest that ties in with the main plot. As a golem, Shale has a distinct set of abilities as well as a unique customization system with attendant loop drops added to the game. Originally planned for the base game, Shale was initially cut due to technical constraints of the game engine, as her character model was too large to fit into doorways, and the camera would not display the character properly when the team raised the conversation system as a lot of it was procedural in nature. When the release date of Origins was delayed from early 2009 to November 2009, the development team had the time and opportunity to rework Shale along with her backstory and personal quest as launch day DLC for the base game. To resolve the technical issues surrounding Shale, the team reduced the size of her model, and as a result, she is smaller compared to other Golem characters in Origins. And of course, we had Warden's Keep, which was released on November 3rd, 2009, and that adds the Fortress of Soldiers Peak to the game world, and an associated quest which could be completed in under an hour. The pack adds a variety of 
equipment and weapons encountered in Soldier's Peak, which are superior in quality to items that can be purchased, as well as powerful new abilities and spells for player characters who consume a specific potion in the keep. Following the completion of the quest, the players can set up a base of operations in Soldier's Peak with two merchants and an area to store the surplus equipment of party members. The story of Warden's Keep explores why the Grey Wardens were exiled from Ferelden a few generations before to their return on the invitation of King Merrick as depicted in the 2009 novel Dragon Age The Calling. To access its contents, the player must interact with the merchant Levi Dryden, whose grandmother Sophia Dryden was a Grey Warden commander who lost the Order's base in Soldier's Peak over a dispute with the tyrannical ancestor of King Merrick. His family disgraced as a result of her actions, Dryden asked the Wardens to reclaim the fortress and clear her name. In Soldier's Peak, the player party encounters ghostly apparitions which recount past events from three decades ago and put the infestation of monsters within the keep in context. At the story's conclusion, players are presented with multiple options to deal with Sophia, who is now a demon-possessed version of her former self, and Avernus, a blood mage who devises new ways to counter the darkspawn blight through other unethical means. Yeah, so definitely adding more of those, you know, ambig- ambiguous choices, trying to get in there and trying to be like, ooh, do you let this blood mage keep doing their thing, even though they're dealing with the darkspawn? Like, what do you do with, like, this demon-possessed form when you're trying to clear her name? It starts to add more to that. Next up, we have The Darkspawn Chronicles, released on May 18th, 2010. It's a standalone module which allows players to experience an alternate history scenario for the final battle at the Ferelden capital city of Denerim. In this version of the game's plot, the player's Grey Warden did not survive the joining, and the Ferelden army is led by Alistair, who rules as king. The player assumes the role of a Herlock Vanguard, who is tasked by the Archdemon, the leader of the Darkspawn Hordes, to capture the Ferelden capital city of Denerim and eliminate the remaining Grey Wardens. Players advance through straightforward combat encounters throughout the city's districts and occasionally undertake quest objectives such as killing a fixed number of opponents, setting fire to landmarks, or sneaking a unit past an enemy checkpoint. Players have the ability to recruit other Darkspawn creatures by selecting and enthralling any allied units they encounter. Once a Darkspawn thrall is brought into the party and under the player's command, they will have the opportunity to improve the Thrall's approval rating, which enhances their combat abilities and unlocks status-boosting effects. Players may clear up a spot in the party at any time by targeting the desired Thrall unit to be executed and discarded. Unlike the base game, playable characters do not gain experience or level up. Darkspawn Chronicles includes several achievements and trophies for players to unlock. One achievement will unlock a sword called Blightblood which can be transferred into the campaigns of the base game, as well as Awakening. Rob Bartell, lead designer of Darkspawn Chronicles, described it as a story of loss of absence, which turns history on its head. He believed that putting the player into the role of Darkspawn unit and showing the capture and fall of Denerim from the Darkspawn's perspective is an interesting thread that players would want to experience. Bartell positioned the Darkspawn Chronicles as a powerful, visceral experience which is light on dialogue and predominantly revolves around its distinct combat mechanics. 
Then, of course, we had Liliana's Song, released on July 6, 2010, and it's a standalone module set several years before the events of the base game. Players assumed the role of Liliana when she was an agent working for the Orlesian bard Marjolaine and experienced the events that led her to settle down in Ferelden and join the Chantry. Liliana is joined by three companions for the module Sketch, an apostate city elven mage, Tug, a surface dwarven warrior, and Silas Corthwaite, a Ferelden warrior. All playable characters may gain experience, level up, and are customizable to a degree. The pack adds a set of armor called Battle Dress of the Provocateur, which could be transferred into Origins and Awakening campaigns upon completion of the DLC. French actress Corinne Kempa reprised her role as Liliana, which she described in 2010 as her biggest role to date. Next up, we have The Golems of Amgarak, released on August 10th, 2010, follows the player's warden commander on a campaign in the Deep Roads to investigate the fate of a missing dwarven expedition. The warden commander, who is either an existing character imported from Origins or Awakening, or a newly created character, is recruited by a dwarven ranger named Jarek Dace in search for his brother, Brogan Dace, who was a member of the aforementioned expedition. The player learns that the expedition was searching for the lost secret behind the construction of golems, especially new techniques to modify old golems in an effort to make a new generation of them, with rumors leading to the Halls of Amgarak. The Golems of Amgarak is noted for its high level of game difficulty. While the player may recruit a golem with healing abilities, the composition of available party members lack magic using support character types. A noteworthy sequence involves a puzzle section deep in the caverns, which is resolved by throwing switches to change the color of gas vapors to enable access to different rooms with more switches, culminating in a difficult final boss fight against a grotesque creature called the Harvester. The pack also allows players to collect rewards and unlock achievements which grant multiple special items that can be transferred into the base campaigns. Bioware's Ferret Bodon explained in an interview that combat in the Golems of Amgarak is very challenging, as Golems make for tough opponents, although he also described Jarek and his Bronto, a rhino-like beast, Mount Snug, as powerful supporting companions in difficult fights. Bodin claimed that the hardest achievement for the DLC is a real badge of honor. The Harvester reappears in Dragon Age 2. According to the lead character artist for Dragon Age 2, Sean Hako, DLC modules for the Golems of Amgarak served as a proving ground for the development team to not only test the creative waters, but also provide players the preview of BioWare's sequel plans. And lastly, we had The Witch Hunt, which is probably the biggest tie-in to the actual main campaign mm-hmm. of Dragon Age Origins. It was released on September 7, 2010, and follows the Warden Commander's investigation into reports that Morgan has returned to Ferelden sometime after her disappearance at the end of Origins. Similar to the Golems of Amgarak, players may create a new Warden Commander for the module or import an existing character from Origins or Awakening. Witch Hunt is meant to provide closure to Morgan's storyline from the base game with rewards that transfer into Origins and Awakening. 
and witch hunt, the Warden Commander and their Mabari Warhound companions encountered the Dalish elf warrior Ariane and the witch Flemish old residence in the Korkari Wilds while searching for Morrigan. Believing that Morrigan has stolen an ancient book from her tribe, Ariane and the Warden Commander travel to the Ferelden Circle of Magi, where they learn that Morrigan is seeking a magic mirror artifact known as an Illuvian after investigating its library. Joined by an elf mage named Finn, the group traveled to various locations to assemble a collection of artifacts before traveling to the Dragonborn Waste to fight a strider. The pack's final boss, which resembles a cross between a bat, a spider, and a tree branch. The player is then presented with multiple conversation options on how to deal with Morgan upon meeting her, with the option to leave with her dependent on a prior decision imported from the base game. Like the Harvester from the Golems of Amgarak, the Strider, known as a Strider of Vartorl, from Witch Hunt, is repurposed for an appearance in Dragon Age 2 as an adversary. Yeah, so like they said, you know, using some of this DLC to test the waters on like, ooh, is that an interesting enemy or interesting element to add to our second game? You know, what are we going to do with that? And again, all these DLCs added a nice chunk of random gameplay we didn't really expect to see especially like playing as a dark spawn like like doing these things that yeah. is like you know almost like a what if universe like what right. if they did win what if you commanded them to take this over and the blight wins on this fifth try basically yeah no it's definitely a very interesting concept and one that i wish that we got more of in video games we always mm-hmm. see things from the hero's perspective and Really, the only video games that have been stark in we're going to make you a bad guy, I think, are the Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption games. But even those sort of twist the narrative. And and there are other games that are similar to that that are more like crime-based games. Yes, where, yes. But they always sort of give you this, even though you're bad, you're also kind of good. You're mm-hmm. in this situation, but you're not really all that bad. Like, to just be a darkspawn and show you that total opposite side where you're, like, controlled by this demon and you want to take over the world, I think is a really interesting concept. Like, let me be the Team Rocket. Let me be Giovanni. (laughs) Let me be the bad guy who's bad for no reason. What I like, it doesn't take the comical effect of it. Like, something that you would see in Overlord... Uh, where you basically like recruit minions and a lot of those games were like as you play as like the bad side it's more like a comical bad side like look we're recruiting these baddies that are kind of funny and like comic relief and oh no we're taking over villages this is much more of like hey here's the actual like what if would have happened if this just all was decimated right and all these like battles occurred so start to wrap it up dragon age origins received critical acclaim from major video game critics upon its release. While the game is considered to be virtually identical across all platforms, differences in user interface, graphical performance, and online content delivery have led the PC version to be reviewed more favorably, as we kind of figured, built for that, than the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 versions. Metacritic ranks the PC, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360 versions of the game with scores of 91, 87, and 86, respectively. Dragon Age Origins topped Steam's sales chart on November 10th, 2009. 
the digital deluxe version of the game was ranked first place, with the standard edition ranked second. The Xbox 360 version of the game was the ninth best-selling game in the U.S., according to the NPD Group, selling approximately 362,100 copies. According to John Ricitello, CEO of EA, the company is very satisfied with the sales of Origins. That's like the most pretentious way. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm very satisfied. Oh, we are quite satisfied. <laughs> mm, yes. My name is John Ricciatiello. <laughs> and I am quite satisfied with the sales quite of satisfied. Origins. They are satisfactory. And more satisfactory, we had 1 million DLC packs for the game sold by the end of 2009. Yes. And in February 2010, EA announced that more than 3.2 million copies of the game had been sold. Although the name Origins hinted that the game would be the beginning of a new franchise, the team did not expect the game to become successful and had never planned for sequels. It's, you know, very modest of you, by the way. Yeah. Nonetheless, Origins spawned a franchise consisting of video games, comics, and novels. And the game's sequel, Dragon Age 2, features a new protagonist and is set in the city of Kirkwall. It was released in 2011. Players are able to transfer save data from Origins into the sequel. Decisions that the player made during the course of Origins may impact the narrative of Dragon Age 2. The third installment of the series, Dragon Age Inquisition, was released in November 2014, and decisions made in Origins are also referenced in Inquisition. Players may revisit the plot points from Origins by selecting their choices on the tapestry feature on the online application Dragon Age Keep. According to Eurogamer's Richard Cobbett, Origins marked the point at which Western RPGs properly moved into the spotlight. He stated that the success of Origins proved that a hardcore, older-fashioned game could still find a devoted audience, and that it established a new baseline for the genre in much the same way as the original's Baldur's Gate back in 1998. And it's absolutely true. Let's end it on a rhyme. Baldur's (laughs) Gate 98, baby. And that is the culmination of the episode. If you can rhyme on time, perfect. Rhyme but on the dime. On the dime. On my dime. But as we had said earlier, you know, with Baldur's Gate coming in and making this new wave of D&D content and new games and very much following along the lines of like Diablo, you brought this into the modern age of it. And in a modern way of, like you said, taking an old style of gaming, but making it new, making it fresh and giving it to a new audience. Yeah, Dragon Age just, obviously it's not, I don't think, very original in concept. No. But it is original in its execution mm-hmm. because we hadn't really had a medium like that on these consoles. And I think that's what made Dragon Age a little bit more special. Um, yeah. alongside obviously all the things that we've discussed with the choice making abilities and the dialogue options and the immersion that you feel choosing one of those six origin stories to go through this this game mode. And yeah, they share um certain pathways within all six of those origins that really don't allow you to branch out maybe the same way that you might find in a D and D. And obviously, mm-hmm. the video game genre has limitations within that, but a super fun game. I mean, this was probably the first game that I really tried to get into that true RPG style of gaming. 
I had been really into just like that uh, train track, that, you know, rail line narrative, that type of gaming for such a long time. Mm -hmm. And um, this game really allowed me to explore gaming in a way that I hadn't done it before because I didn't play D&D growing up. I didn't, you know, play a lot of RPG stuff. And so Dragon Age Origins, for me, a lot of fun. I think where it faults is maybe some of the characters that you can choose feel just immediately weaker than others, like the rogue, for Mm -hmm. instance. And you can be a rogue in, I think, all of the races, but there are certain advantages to being like an elven rogue um, that I think, you know, make it, like an unnecessary difficulty meter that you're mm-hmm. not necessarily aware of. And on that note, the difficulty itself, I didn't find this game to be super challenging. So I think that those are two things that maybe could have been improved upon, and I'd give it an 8 out of 10. Cool. Yeah. I mean, Dragon Age, I mean, really, the reason why we chose it is it did. It did delve into this new way of gaming that, was brought about by Mass Effect, brought about by this new wave of EA, and by BioWare, who'd been working on this idea of RPGs for a minute, and bringing these choices, bringing the, the choice to the gamer in a way, and really setting the future for a lot of games coming up, giving multiple endings, the options for certain, you know, do I spare them, do I kill them, ideas for a lot of games, even in a simplistic stance, they were the ones to kind of launch a lot of that and continue that on um, to a number of games that really had that D&D-esque, that tabletop RPG-esque element to it to kind of allow you to almost do whatever you want in a way. And so if I had to give this a rating, I would give it... Um, hmm, you know, that's a tough one because as we think of... What is Dragon Age? What is it? What is it? <laughs> But really, the age of a dragon. I want the audience to know I'm scared. What is it but the age of a dragon? And if we're talking, you know, a mature adult dragon, I'd probably have to give this, in a good median age, we're not maxing it out, probably a 362 out of the number of human years. So roughly 40 would be the equivalent out of 10. Mm. And that is the age of a dragon. If we're talking about what this game was about, because we never really got that answer in the game. I would say, I'd say like dragon age. We want to know that. And we, we just never figured it out. I do want to say, I don't think the title of this game makes a lot of sense, but it sounds cool. It was the but. Age of Dragons. I don't know how much they actually talk about it too much, but it's good. You know, but we never it's really the just the one dragon, right? Like, listen, we're talking about the age of them. You know, it'll be a century, and we're talking about Multiple the centuries. origin of the one. I mean, it just. You know what? I take it back. Let me take my rating back. We're talking about the origin okay. of it, like a juvenile, between the ages of like twenty six, fifty years old. So, uh, fifty out of would be a human 10 to 15 years old uh, out of 10. Um, I feel so like th- they just like put into a, a random word generator 
Like, they did. Okay, what what do people like mm-hmm. when they're talking about fantasy genres? And it's like dragon, age, and the word origins. You know, and we started like, oh, it, yeah. so it's the origins. It's beautiful. Yeah. But it's not. It's the fifth blight. It just doesn't even make sense. It's not the origin. If I was playing the first blight, it's the origin, and maybe that's the dragon age. I don't know. Derek, they didn't. Have it doesn't make sense. Then. They didn't. Have I can't think about the, it that hard. They didn't have cameras to the fifth age. The fifth age brought GoPros, and that's how we view the story. You're welcome for ruining Dragon Age for this beautiful game we just talked about. It's just a GoPro adventure by Peter Jackson. It's zero out of ten now. <laughs> Research for this episode was done by Alex Kendall and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music was composed and recorded by our friend Evan Barr. And our beautiful new artwork was designed and given to us by Aaron Shattuck. And as always, we want to thank you all for supporting us any way you can. And one way that really helps us out is our Patreon. We can get some bonus episodes, extra content, our deity adventure, our Minecraft server, all the likes, all the pluses. We want to thank some select members today with Sky the Bear. Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Nick Hyman, McChief, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, and Lee Tom John. So as always, check it out if you can. It's in the link below. It helps support us immensely. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, drop us a review. We love to hear from you guys and it helps us out a lot. Absolutely. And if you want to check us out on Twitch, you can check me out at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That is S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. As well as Derek over at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is thebakerman247. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Also join our Discord. It's free to join. We're hanging out in there all the time. Alex and I are always having a lot of fun. Making memes, talking Halo, talking Dragon Age, talking Donkey Kong. It doesn't matter. Just come on, hang on out. We're having a good time. We'd love to see you. And that, and with that, and that, and with that. And with that, let's originate it. Let's originate it. That has been our coverage of Dragon Age Origins. Did you play the original? Have you played the further games? What's your opinion on the series? And are you excited? For the rumored release of Dragon Age 4, possibly 2023, let us know on all of our social channels. And as always. And with that, as always, other idioms that do that same thing, I have been your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Derek Age Origins. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. (laughs) 